Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey Divas, you ready for another weekly roundup of Mormon news? I am thrilled to be here. We have an action, absolutely action-packed week. We've got a lot to get to. I, I could not be more excited about this episode. One of the reasons is because about halfway through the week, I didn't have that many news articles. And I was like, gee whiz, I, I'm not seeing that much out there. But by the end of the week, it filled up very well. Did you have a good week, Al? I sure did. It was uh, very exciting to watch all the things going on. We've got plenty of news to cover from all aspects of Mormonism, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Absolutely. The purpose of this podcast is to see what's going on there in the world of Mormonism. We're going to be some of the things you can look forward to in this episode is we're going to talk about the Black Menaces, which is a student group of BYU and the LDS's church's response to the war in Ukraine. We're also going to discuss the contraception crisis at BYU. What? This 2022 contraception (laughs) crisis? My goodness. And also how complaints always seem to be a precursor to revelation. And we're also going to reflect on our first listener feedback. Now, we have an email right now. It's uh, mormonnewsroundup at gmail.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're in the middle of building a website as well that is going to be uh, launched very soon. And um, we're really looking forward to that. Now, uh, some of the corrections I'd like to give from uh, our episode two. I kind of fact-checked myself and also Al um, Mm -hmm. talking about episode two. And there's a couple of corrections I want to... talk about before we start this episode and that's number one is the uh, death rate we discussed how in the 192nd general conference of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints ninety thousand people left the church for one reason or another either they uh, died or they um, fell off the rolls which people do when they reach 110 years old by the way that's Mm -hmm. when they fall off the rolls or they had their name uh, membership withdrawn and how the death rate didn't seem to match with the number of people leaving the church. And I said that the mm-hmm. death rate was one out of 10,000. That's actually not quite correct. It's more like about one out of 100. That's a ballpark estimate. So about 1% uh-huh. of people die per year. And that's why the church's statistics from the last episode, I didn't really think mm-hmm. um, really matched up with what, what one would expect with yeah. the death rate. So we also, you also talked about, we also talked last episode about how Um, I believe that the two primary indicators of the strength of the church is, number one, um, active proselyting force. And the church Mm -hmm. is at about 51,000 right now. And also the number of people paying tithing. And you said that uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I identified that as a parable that Jesus taught. That was incorrect. It's actually from the Sermon on the Mount. Close. You still got the author right. (laughs) (laughs) somewhere i just like this you know tell people oh it's in the bible somewhere in the back i don't know Um, yeah and finally we have another fact check uh a couple of uh a couple of fact checks we i said that president uchtdorf i said i could not recall him ever speaking on lgbtq issues because we were discussing president oak's talk from the last general conference which was Mm -hmm. um somewhat controversial um and not necessarily uh, well-received among even uh, faithful Latter-day Saints. It was somewhat of a troubling talk, I would say. Yeah, he, he just kind of reiterated what he'd always said. Yes. Uh, um, obviously, a lot of people were hoping for something um, uh, that was a little more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said I couldn't remember the last time that Elder Uchtdorf spoke out on the LGBTQ issue. So I went back and looked it up. And the, the last time that I could find was way back in 2010. 
and his statement, um, this was published in the, in the Tribune article that I saw, was extremely bland. It said that we love our LGBTQ uh, brothers and sisters, Latter-day Saints. We, everyone needs to love everyone. We don't know the causes behind this, but we need to be generous and Christ-like. It was about as open and accommodating as a statement as you're going to see from a senior le- leader of the church. Certainly. That's surprising. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, we're speculating here, but, you know, President Uchtdorf, um, you know, he was in the first presidency at one time um, before President Nelson came on board. He was a member of the first presidency. And I believe yeah. he's only one of two apostles in the last hundred years that were part of the first presidency, but then were, you know, demoted back to the regular quorum of the 12. I know that's technically it's not a demotion because there's 15 apostles at the head of the church. And yeah. I guess, you know, but he was moved down. Mm-hmm. And some people think that the reason for that is that he did not does not toe the line when it comes to the LGBTQ issues. I know that's speculation. There's nothing hard evidence of that. But mm-hmm. you think that there's truth to that or what do you think? Oh, from my own personal opinion, I when it comes to talking about uh, Mr. Dorf, I, I've met um, Dieter Dorf once upon a time and uh, heck of a nice guy. Uh, really uh, a sweet man and funny and charismatic. I mean, everything, <laughs> he's just uh, everything that uh, a good leader uh, espouses, right? Uh, especially from the outside. Um, he, uh, But, you know, there's something about him and his attitude. I mean, coming from uh, Europe and, uh, you know, a place where uh, there's a lot more sex positivity in uh, Europe than there seems to be in uh, the Puritan settled United States. So it seems to me that um, he probably just doesn't quite fit in. That's my, that's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's the reason we're all, we're all speculating here. But um, anyway, I, I did want to fact check that for myself. I also, we also discussed how in the last journal conference, how much more news could be made if the church continued to, Reveal if the prophets, the seers and the revelators would reveal something and canonize it. And I said that the reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, now known as the Community of Christ, their Mm -hmm. section of the Doctrine of Covenants, they keep adding to it. I said it went up to like 190. Actually, it only goes up to about 155 right now. Mm -hmm. But that's still that's a fact check for myself. They're still revealing new revelations. It's been over 100 years now since the only true and living church upon the face of the earth has revealed a new revelation that has been canonized. Oh my. Yeah. So, you know, that's. We're, some of the... Yeah. We're a little behind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's to put it mildly. Yeah. Well, and you know, the church has talked about things like the proclamation to the world on the family as being a revelation that the scripture and uh, hangs up in everybody's household, but they, they haven't added that as another section of the doctrine and covenants. No, they have. Um, and I think, remember, that if you want something to be canonized, it needs to be presented to the uh, members for a sustaining vote. Yeah. You brought up that great article. I think it was last week or it might have been the week before mm-hmm. where the sentiment for uh, Generation Z and millennial Latter-day Saints regarding LGBTQ, which is what the mm-hmm. proclamation of the family is really addressing, mm-hmm. um, is not really in accordance with what a lot of the proclamation says. So if they tried to bring that for a sustaining vote, it doesn't even pass. You're right. I think that they would really struggle. And that's probably the reason that it hasn't been canonized uh, among many others. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So uh, a couple of other things. Uh, we have a website. It's live in beta form. Uh, you, we uh, purchased the domain just today. I put in the credit card. Hopefully it's going to be live by the time we go next week. Mm-hmm. But we are on Twitter. It's Mormon News Roundup. We are on email right now. It's mormonnewsroundup at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. Um, the couple of last things from the fact checking is I talked to about how President Nelson in the last general conference announced 17 new temples, and that brought his total of announced temples to 100, which is really unprecedented. And I gave a dollar figure for the amount that a temple costs. I said it was $10 million. I went back and tried to do some fact checking for myself to figure out how much are these temples costing. And a real baseline here for how much commercial real estate costs in the United States is really right around about $500 per square foot. That's a simple average for how much a commercial real estate venture costs. So let me ask you, Al, do you think that it would cost more or less than, uh, the, than, the, than the average United States commercial real estate per square foot to make it? Uh, you know, the knee-jerk reaction that I would have it, it would be, you know, with the, the Mormon church trying to uh, put as much effort into these temples as possible. My knee-jerk reaction would say more, but I'm going to go, I'm going to guess with less. And the reason why is because I think that the church also has a, a good uh, tactic of saving money when it comes to uh, real estate. You very well might be the case, but you also have to realize that, you know, average real estate, say a Best Buy or a McDonald's, mm-hmm. you know, you're not building those with lavish chandeliers and True. <laughs> You know, embroidered, you know, Persian rugs Mm -hmm. and, you know, Egyptian uh, carpeting and things like that. It seems to me that the number would be even higher. But I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. But if you if Mm -hmm. how big do you think that the average temple is, you know, not a mini temple, the average temples that are being built now, how many square feet do you think it is? Okay, so the big temples, oh, they're about three stories high. And each story, uh, thankfully, you know, they're all pretty much blocks. So, I mean, each story is the equivalent. I guess each story is probably about 20,000 square feet. So I'm going to say 60,000 square feet. Seems pretty reasonable. If you let's just go with the commercial average. You think it's a little less. I think it's Mm -hmm. a little more. But let's just go with the commercial average of $500 per square feet. Mm -hmm. Well, times by the 60,000 square feet of an average temple, I actually think that the average temple might be around 70,000 square feet. The big ones, Salt mm-hmm. Lake City, Washington, D.C., uh, what's the one in California? The Saint, uh, the uh, the one that's... Oh, in- the San Diego? Yes, yeah, San Diego. Those are all over 100,000 square feet, but those are the big ones. So let's just yeah. say conservatively 60,000 and the uh, commercial average of $500 a square feet. How much does that make a temple uh, building cost? Based on that math, let's see, five hundred square feet times six, plus a bunch of zeros, and you're up to thirty million. Thirty million. So I said ten, but I think that that is pretty low. You could uh, be. Yeah, I think we're still conservative, Davis. <laughs> it could be more. So uh-huh. anyway, uh, that's a fact check from the last time, and I just want to have everyone stay tuned for the end of to the end of this podcast with the results from. President Nelson's forgiveness challenge. Now, he, in the 192nd General Conference, gave a forgiveness challenge, challenge everyone to forgive someone by Easter. And by the way, Al, happy Easter to you. A happy Easter to you, too. Thank you so much. And at the end of this, we're going to talk about Al challenge me. Well, we talked about which people I think, uh, which people I should forgive. We settled on Paul Dunn. I'm going to let you know what the results of that are 
at the end of this podcast. But that's everything from uh, the uh, housekeeping. Is there anything that I've left off? I don't think so. Let's get to it. Okay, wonderful. Okay, so our first article here comes from Cash Valley Daily, and it was published on April 11th by Will Freewright, and it said, From Hungary and Slovakia to the Czech Republic and Iceland, Latter-day Saints are rapidly uniting to help refugees. And you're seeing missionary volunteers who are serving food to, you know, this is from the Ukrainian crisis that's happening. We're on about day, mm-hmm. I think it's 45 of the Russian invasion in the in the unprovoked outrageous Russian invasion into Ukraine. And the church is having a response to that. And they don't have missionaries currently in Ukraine, but all of the refugees are getting pushed to the countries that are around Ukraine, such as Poland, um, um, Hungary, such as all of these other places. And the church is using some of their proselyting force and they're redirecting some of their senior missionaries refugee crisis which I think is absolutely great. In fact, the article says that in Hungary, the church found an, uh, an NGO that is renting an entire hotel for refugees. Mm-hmm. And the church has said that they're going to be paying the costs for that hotel for these refugees. And this is something that I, um, critic- that I criticized the church on in mm-hmm. the last episode. And I said the church needs to partner more with other outside organizations that are better suited to Mm -hmm. doing some of these incredible outreach uh, programs because the church is not really prepared for these type of refugee Mm -hmm. support. But there's a lot of NGOs that this is all that they do. So the fact that the church is doing, I, you know what this tells me Al? this tells me that the church is listening to this podcast Mm -hmm. and that, (laughs) and that they're (laughs) taking, they're taking our advice to heart. I think our Mm -hmm. message is really getting out there. Al. Well, there's some of the good. Because, yeah, we do want to commend the church for doing the right thing and for uh, looking after the people, even if they aren't uh, of the faith, but, but for looking out for the people of the world. I think that that is tremendous. I, I You know, it really, you know, it really shows, uh, I think, that the church has the capability of doing these things. Mm-hmm. And maybe they just don't get the news coverage that they deserve, because this mm-hmm. is coming from CashValleyDaily.com. It's yeah. not picked up. It's not being picked up by the New York Times. It's not being picked mm-hmm. up even by some of these of the Associated Press. Yeah, and this isn't even from like uh, the uh, the church's uh, KSL or Deseret News. No, it's it's not. Um, so I, I, you know, I tip my hat off. Also, uh, the next the next article talks about the next article, which is uh, published by Tad Welch Welch mm-hmm. on April eighth, two thousand twenty two, talks about how Latter Day Saints. who help others, and that's baked into every congregation. And they talk about how Latter-day Saint Charities is helping refugees, again, from the Ukrainian crisis in Turkey, Mm -hmm. and that the church continues um, to help in in, in any way that they can for these refugees, since we're not really allowed to be, the church is not really allowed to be in Ukraine. It's too dangerous right now. But the church's humanitarian response in Ukraine is providing, um, you know, a lot of hope. And you hear uh, Bishop Kaze, who is the presiding bishop of the church, and he talked about if you think of every ward as a humanitarian organization, that's powerful, he said. And the strength of the church is found in the individual members and in the ward organization, and that it's a magnificent organization. Now, the church, the President Nelson said he's, quote, the church is doing, quote, everything that we can, including providing at least $8 million in aid to multiple organizations. And this is across many countries from Poland to Hungary to Iceland to 
all over the place. And we're talking about millions of dollars partnering with NGOs. It seems like the church is doing a lot here. Yeah, that's a, well, that's a big chunk of change. It's uh, certainly more than you and I have contributed. But um, you know, yep. we also don't have that kind of uh, that kind of ability in our coffers. <laughs> That is absolutely that is absolutely yeah. true. Um, uh, you know, and everyone, uh, you know, everyone should be looking for ways to contribute um, to those who are suffering in the Ukraine crisis. Right. Now, I, I do want to say one thing, though, about the church's response to Ukraine, mm-hmm. and that's their initial statement about the invasion. Yeah. And if you read that initial statement about the invasion. You know, <sighs> If you think about the, 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 the times past, the church has said the prophets are supposed to be very unpopular. They're supposed to speak truth to power. They're mm-hmm. supposed to rebuke evil and unrighteousness. And they are supposed to be the pillars of, you know, of what God's mouthpiece should be and to rebuke those who need to be rebuked. Prophets are supposed to be unpopular and speak truth to power. But if you read the Ukrainian statement that the church initially put out when this invasion went out, Mm -hmm. it's um, pretty uh, Uh, milk toast. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Very uh, (laughs) non-political. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. It doesn't exactly rebuke the people like Samuel the Lamanite on the wall rebukes mm-hmm. people for their evil and put his life on the line. Yeah. It, we're looking at a far cry from what the church could have done. Now I, I'm going to, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I gave the church a lot of props for this Ukrainian yeah. response. I think mm-hmm. it's been tremendous. They also, mm-hmm. uh, elder Uchtdorf went to Europe um, to uh, minister among people as close as he could. So, you know, he's from mm-hmm. Europe. He's from the area. He remembers, he grew up in world war II. He yeah. knows what it's like. They sent the right man for the job. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the church had just used some of the rhetoric that they had used in times past for the people in the LGBTQ community in that statement for Russia, mm-hmm. you know, they called uh, gays diabolical. They called them uh, mm-hmm. evil. They called them satanic. They called mm-hmm. them so many things. And if you compare the rhetoric that the church has used in Ukraine to the rhetoric that they've used for LGBT members of the church, the contrast to me is pretty damning. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they certainly have no problem um, mincing words when it comes to the LGBTQ community. But when it comes to actual murders and tyrants and uh, invade, invading forces, they're, uh, they, they seem almost welcoming. I wouldn't well, go. Maybe, maybe that's, a, that, that's a little far. I wouldn't but. go. That's not that's a little too far. That's too but far. I they, apologize. you know, I, I wish that they could use some of that same rhetoric that they, uh, that they've reserved for, uh, for little little gay boys and girls in the church, yeah. mm-hmm. for a genocidal homicidal maniac. Yeah, you know, uh, the contrast to me um, speaks volumes. So yeah, the the church uh, the church did advocate for peace. They wanted this whole thing to be resolved. They wanted people to. Uh, to think of the people and uh, you know, the church, the church did, you know, in its statement uh, advocate for peace, but I just don't think that it did enough to condemn the actions of the Russians. 
but that that's that sums it up exactly. That's yeah. my exact sentiment as well. Okay, so that's enough on the Ukraine. Uh, let's there's a couple of more aftermaths that are from the general conference that I uh, that came out this week, and the next one is from uh, our Reddit that was released five days ago on Reddit, and it's a data dashboard, and mm-hmm. it talks about somebody went through the church's numbers. And it says the countries with the highest members per congregation and Chile is on top with 1,061 members per congregation. And this is based off the church's last statistics. So if you have a congregation, Al, that has 1,061 members in it, what does that tell you about that congregation? Uh, Well, if, if, uh, if it's an LDS congregation, it's going to need to have a very big ward house. Um, either either that or it's going to have a very low uh, percentage of activity. Right. Because what the church does is once a congregation reaches a certain number of Melchizedek priesthood holders, mm-hmm. they will split that congregation into multiple congregations. And I don't remember the exact number off of the top of my head, but I believe that you have to have, I, I don't know the exact number, but I believe it's somewhere around 40 active Melchizedek priesthood holders just to run a ward. Yeah. That's from the elders quorum, the bishopric and, and all the rest of that. So you need to have around double that to be able to split a ward. So if you have 1,061 members and you do not have, I believe it's somewhere around 80 Melchizedek pre- active Melchizedek priesthood holders, which is necessary to split the ward. Mm-hmm. What does that tell you about the activity rates there in Chile? Uh, they've got to be pretty dismal. Um, <laughs> yeah. It, 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 unless uh, they're just not going after priesthood leaders or, or priesthood holders, or they're not looking at, they're not looking for the the men or the uh, the fathers. They're just going after wives and children. But that doesn't really ring true since the church has always been about recruiting families as a whole family unit. Well, there are more. Um female members of the church than there are male and they're almost always yeah. have been true um so which is an amusing sentiment because uh yeah it's not amusing but if you think about polygamy it actually um, mm-hmm. you know i guess there's always been more uh, active females than there have males but mm-hmm. you know the church does not report the attendance rates the yeah. church reports total members but they don't report the attendance rates mm-hmm. and if you also think about if you think about Chile, a lot of these members that come and are, are converted in some of these South American countries, like if the mm-hmm. top of this list is Panama, Uruguay, Colombia, Chile, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Mexico, Bolivia, Peru, Honduras, Venezuela, all of these countries have mm-hmm. something very, very much in common, not just the fact that they're Spanish speaking, but what is the primary religion of all of those countries? I believe it was Catholicism. Right. Um, yeah, the the Catholic Church uh, sent missionaries from Spain, which is you know really how they became Spanish speaking prevalently. Right. So in the Catholic Church, there's a big tradition of, hey, I'm Catholic, but you know I only go to church once or twice a year. I only go on Easter. Mm-hmm. I only go on Christmas, and that's mm-hmm. perfectly acceptable for a lot of Catholics to just be. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a faith based religion. It's not a works based. It's not I have to be there every Sunday. It's not that I have to do yeah. X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It's more of a mental thing. Yeah, uh, I, you know, when it comes to Easter and Christmas, it seems like they they really do give a, a strong effort to attend on those two holidays. Um, but it seems also that the Catholic church also understands that the world has to keep turning 
so they don't uh, they don't typically seem to shame members from uh, holding jobs that require them to work on Sundays. Right. So when a lot of these uh, formerly Catholic uh, persons are baptized and uh, into the church, they retain their old styles of worship, which is yeah. it's very casual. You know, mm-hmm. an average church. If you go to an average congregation, how many people do you think are in an average regular congregation, not a branch, on a in a, on a given Sunday? In an LDS congregation, um, well, shoot. I mean, when I was attending actively, I think it was two hundred and fifty uh, per ward. But um, I I think that it's probably less, probably um, hundred hundred and twenty. I would think that the average number of attendants across the church would be around 150 because you would have about 200 mm-hmm. that are considered themselves active, but not everybody will be there on Sunday and some people are shut in. Yeah. But if, if you have 200 active members in a church um, out of 1100, I mean, the activity rates are very, very low. That's yeah. what the, that's the only thing that I wanted to bring out in this in this uh, particular article. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else on that one? Uh, no, I think uh, that it's uh, it has been uh, declining in activity rates for a long time, but uh, the, it, it's um, I guess it's not surprising that you have, you do have to dig a little deeper to find out what the actual activity rates are. But um, even though we can't get an excellent number, we can get in the ballpark, and I think what we've come pretty close. Yeah. Now, someone the every every single Sunday the ward clerk or someone else goes through and counts the number of people Mm -hmm. that are attending for that particular uh, Sunday. And they roll those numbers up, they send them up to the stake and then they send them to Salt Lake city. Those numbers are not released to the general public. However, Mm -hmm. someone in great Britain released all of the attendance numbers for every single congregation in great Britain, um, Mm -hmm. broken down by the number, by the week. And Mm -hmm. we do have those numbers and the uh, actual attendance rates in great Britain we're only in the teens and some of these countries are even worse than that. So, yeah. you know, the, it'd be nice if the church, like most churches would report the attendance rate. That's the mm-hmm. most important thing, not the total number of members, but they don't. Yeah. Uh, as far as I've, I mean, when I, when I hear people talk uh, in my, in my own community, you know, they've got a relative who's a ward clerk and, uh, you know, I hear time and time again, every time I hear it, they're like, oh, yeah, my brother's a ward clerk. And he said that his attendance rate is way, lo- way down. And, you know, of course, I don't give any specific numbers and I don't expect them to. But just, you know, from what I hear, uh, keeping my finger on the pulse of Mormonism around me. Yeah. Attendance rates down. Uh, activity rates are low. Yeah. Um, thanks a lot. Let's go on to the next article here, yeah. uh, which is Religion Dispatches. This was released on April 13th, 2022 by Holly Welker. And it says the uh, title of the article is Always Pray to the Father. Mormon leader calls desire for knowledge of Heavenly Mother arrogant and unproductive. Uh, I thought this was a really interesting article because it points out that Joseph Smith, when he was 14 year old, said that in one of his accounts of the first vision that he came across James 1 5 as an impetus for his religious conversion. And mm-hmm. that James 1 5 says, quote, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him End quote. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that and that the idea of praying to God to ask for more knowledge is baked into the basic premise of Mormonism. In fact, at the end of the Book of Mormon in Moroni chapter 10, there's so-called Moroni's promise, which challenges the reader of the Book of Mormon 
to pray to God and ask for the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon, and it would be confirmed by the power of the Holy Ghost, and by the power of the Holy Ghost, you shall know the truth of all things. Mm -hmm. So when Elder Dave Runland on uh, the last general conference on April 2nd, he said that, Again, this was the concluding speaker of the women's session on Saturday mm -hmm. evening. Renlin devoted uh, a little more than 300 words to explaining why it is, quote, arrogant and unproductive, end quote, to seek more information about Heavenly Mother. And this is part of his quote also. He said, the Savior taught his disciples, always pray in the name of the Father in my name, end quote. We follow this pattern and direct our worship to our Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ and do not pray to Heavenly Mother, end quote. Mm -hmm. Um is it, it also before I ask you a question about this, remember that the church has released uh, gospel topics essays, which are on the trickiest uh, Mormon theological and historical mm -hmm. points. There is a gospel topics essay on Heavenly Mother, and it is exceedingly mm -hmm. short. All yeah. it says is there is a Heavenly Mother and we don't know anything more. Do you think that it is arrogant and unproductive to want to see information about the woman who apparently mother of all of our spirits. The, I, I would have to take issue with the, the choice of words, the arrogance and unproductive. Um, that to me sounds more like uh, they're trying to shame people away from digging into something that they don't actually know anything about. Um, but, you know, I wholeheartedly disagree um, as you mentioned, uh, this is, uh, this is as fundamental to Mormonism, uh, almost as fundamental as the first article of faith. I mean, if there is a, they believe it, that there is a God, they believe that Jesus Christ is his son. Uh, they also, uh, you know, by contrast have mentioned, uh, shoot, Eliza R. Snow put in, uh, uh, the hymn, Oh, my father, uh, you know, they've got a gospel topics essay about it. It's there is a heavenly mother, at least one heavenly mother. Now, you know, is there multiple heavenly mothers? Uh, is polygamy practiced in the celestial kingdom? Uh, DNC 132 would say so. Um, but I, uh, I, I think it's really, uh, I think it's hypocritical to, to expect people to pray to know if the church is true. But don't pray to know anything about your heavenly mother. Yes, well, that's a good point. I wish there mm -hmm. could be the church would come up with a list to say these are the things that you can pray about, and these mm -hmm. are the things that you can't pray about. Yeah, you know, just just let us all know what what things that are off limits that we shouldn't even consider praying mm -hmm. to God for. Because I, you know, the church teaches the prayer, the importance of prayer, and saying, you know, people get up every single uh, fast and testimony meeting and mm -hmm. say, I know the church is true. Why? Because I prayed about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also, I also think, you know, think about the future of womandom. I, I'm not sure if that's a word. For a Mormon woman in the eternities, she is supposed to end up like Heavenly Mother. And yeah. that means that she will have apparently no contact whatsoever with her offspring. Mm -hmm. So Heavenly Mother sent us to this earth to be tried and tested along with Heavenly Father, but said, mm -hmm. you're on your own. Don't look to me. Don't ask me. Don't even ponder anything mm -hmm. about me. I can't help you, and I won't help you. Wow, Davies, that's, uh that puts a whole different perspective on it, doesn't it? Because, I mean, anybody that's, uh, you know, I, 
my wife uh, can't go a day without talking to her mother. I, my sisters, I'm sure I'm on the phone with my mom several times a day. Um, you know, it's just that it's the kind of the nature of most women is that they talk to their mothers. They want to talk things through. They want some advice. They want someone to hear them. They want someone to cry with them. They want someone to laugh with them. Um, you know, and that's, uh, you know, so to, to go and uh, make a statement against it, uh, I, I, that's a, that's a tough one for me to wrap my head around. Well, just to and, wrap and what, the... what's unreasonable about it. But you, you make a very good point in that uh, when it comes to learning about what you, you're supposed to do in the future, okay, you know, let's follow the plan of salvation that, you know, men are supposed to be gods, women are supposed to be goddesses. And, um, you know, what is your relationship to your children supposed to be? You're expected to just have no contact with them, to that's... just worry and wonder about them until they come home? That, that, that's that's what people are asking about. People yeah. are wondering this question in women's conference, especially mm-hmm. women are asking this question. What is my role going to be in the eternities? Yeah. And if you look also at the Mormon endowment ceremony, mm-hmm. you will note that uh, not to get to I know this is a sensitive topic for some people, but every single person who was involved with the creation of this earth shares mm-hmm. one thing in common. And that's they're all men. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Heavenly Mother According to the, the, the most sacred and the highest holy ceremony in Mormonism, mm-hmm. in the endowment, there's no women involved in the process whatsoever. So mm-hmm. she was not involved with anything, making the earth, sending people here, not even spirits, because it was Elohim and Jehovah that did the spirit creation. Mm-hmm. Heavenly Mother was not there. So what is her role then? Um she has no, no contact with mm-hmm. us. She wasn't involved with the planning. What is what is Heavenly Mother doing? And these are these are natural questions for people to have. And it, it sure. seems to me that a church that is led by revelation would be able to, you know, be able to have more information. It seems like that the information that Joseph Smith brought forward was that the, that was that the creme de la creme? Was that the the mm-hmm. the the end of all knowledge? It seems like some in some ways that it is. And that, I think, is a disappointment for some members. It certainly would be. I, I remember, um, you know, being told that the way to learn how to behave as a, a man is go to the temple. And that's how you learn how to be a perfect father, how to be a perfect husband, how to be a perfect uh, employee or employer. Um, that is how you learn how to, to do it. Well, how do you learn how to be a heavenly mother, uh, you know, are you supposed to go to the temple to learn that? Cause there, there really isn't much. I mean, you get to see Eve's interactions, but that you don't get to see very much interaction from Eve. No, you and don't You don't get to see any interaction from heavenly mother. No. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, the Mormon endowment wouldn't pass the Beckel test. Are you familiar with that one? The movie? <laughs> yeah. You're a big movie buff, right? I am a big movie buff. Uh, remind me what movie that's from. The Bechtel test. The Bechtel test says that uh, a Bechtel test is a movie has to pass the Bechtel test, meaning that a woman has to talk to another woman in the movie and not about a man. So, in other words, a woman has to uh, a, a woman <laughs> has to have independent thoughts with other women that doesn't uh-huh. have anything to do with men. And I just realized the Mormon endowment ceremony does not pass that test so. at all. No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's go on. Uh, we have we got a lot to get through. This has been a big week, actually. Sure and has. our next article here comes from by Common Consent. Okay. Um, and this was published uh, just a couple of days ago regarding how complaints seem to be a precursor 
to revelation. And this goes with our last article as well. <laughs> Remember, Moses took actions in the wilderness with the children of Israel. When Israel was attempting to escape from Pharaoh, they chastised Moses for putting them in a position where they would be recaptured. And Moses reassured them that, hey, the Lord will fight. The Lord is going to fight for you. They also murmured because they were hungry. And that's what brought forth the uh, every morning the quails in the evening mm -hmm. and the manna in the morning. Mm -hmm. Points out that there's many instances when revelation seems to be precursored. I don't know if that's a word, but seems to be mm -hmm. a precursor to revelation seems mm -hmm. to be complaints. Yeah. And this also reminds me of Blacks and the priesthood ban and the temple ban. Mm -hmm. As complaints seem to got louder, get louder and louder in the 70s, it seems like the revelations were in response to that. And you can see that pattern throughout the scriptures. And that's one reason that when people seem to be complaining about Heavenly Mother or mm -hmm. about LGBTQ issues, that seems like that's when things get done is it's based yeah. upon complaints. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the uh, Moses and the, they said, hey, we're thirsty. What what this is in Exodus 17. We're thirsty, Moses. Mm -hmm. yeah. Please go back to the Lord. And he smites the rock. Mm -hmm. So God's prophets, God's plan seems to be predicated upon people complaining. So, you know, mm -hmm. Dallin Oaks said that it is wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. Mm -hmm. But that does not to me find pattern that revelation and change in God's kingdom seems to come out of the protests that people have. The more people that get united, the faster things get done. Certainly. Yeah. Um, even from Book of Mormon times, you've got uh, the brother of Jared. Well, how are we supposed to, you know, get across the, the seas? And, you know, the Lord tells them, well, build these ships and, you know, make uh, the top like a saucer and the bottom like a saucer and put them together. Well, how are we going to breathe? And, you know, he just keeps complaining and complaining and complaining. And the Lord hands him over and over and over again uh, the answer. And uh, then he says, well, how are we supposed to get light in there? And the Lord says, well, what do you think you ought to do? And uh, he says, well, you know, here, touch these rocks, make them glow, and uh, we'll use that. And uh, so you know, even, you know, from the Book of Mormon, you get uh, examples of complaint leads to revelation. It's a precursor. It's a, a forerunner. It's a catalyst for change and for uh, action. Yes, it is. And, and so that's why, you know, they, they say everyone just says, Hey, stay in the boat. Don't rock the boat. Stay on the covenant path. Just, mm -hmm. you know, keep your eye on, on the prize, but that's not, mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be what has happened in times past. It seems like the more that people want to get engaged and want to get answers, that seems like that's, that's when um, answers are given. That's so, right. And that's when change takes place. But the only people that don't want change are the ones that would rather just retrench and uh, have the status quo stay the status quo. Yeah. But that doesn't benefit the people who are being marginalized or the people that are being sidelined throughout all that. Our next article is from KUER.org, and it's on the Black Menaces. This was released on... Uh, Excuse me. This was released April 12th, 2022. And the title of the article is The Black Menace's TikTok Asks the Hard Questions to Provoke Change in BYU Student Life. So it's a group of BYU students has pushed the school into the public eye with their viral TikTok performances. In their videos, they ask BYU students questions like, does reverse racism exist? 
does institutional racism exist? Is the Confederate flag racist? And it seems these responses seem to go viral. Um, why do you think that these black menaces are also the black menaces confronted Brad Wilcox? I think it was about a month and a half ago after he gave a very troubling uh, talk to uh, a youth in Alpine, Utah at a tri-state fireside. Uh, why do you think that these folks are going viral, Al? I really like the black menaces. I, I got to say that right up front. Um, I think that they're, enter- I think they're entertaining. I think that they ask really good questions. There's not really anything about them that I don't like. I think they go right to the heart of it too and expose them. I mean, right there in the, in the heart of Mormonism and on BYU campus, they go and talk to these kids who are being taught and have been taught a lot of them their whole lives about, you know, this is where the church stands. This is what uh, the church believes. This is what you're supposed to believe. And they confront them on that and say, okay, well, we under, you know, they've had, they've had several conversations with people, I'm sure off the camera where they say, well, this is what the church teaches. So then they go and get people to say it on camera and they do. <laughs> so, you know, some, some of the funniest ones that they've done is they said, okay, was this quote from a previous LDS prophet or was it from a Confederate general? Yeah. And you can, ima- you can imagine if you try to drag out some of these uh, old uh, quotes how well these things go. In fact, they've got a half million followers. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to some of the most popular Mormons in the world right now, Mm -hmm. I don't even think that David Archuleta has that many followers. I mean, uh, maybe he, maybe, you know, does have more than that, but Mm -hmm. still, these are definitely among the most popular Mormons around. And they, you know, when I, back when I was a BYU student, let's just, you know, back when I was a BYU student, Mm -hmm. I didn't have much background in, a lot of these questions that, that, that these folks are asking, mm-hmm. I would have failed just as miserably as a lot of these students did. I came from a very white area. I grew up in Utah. Mm-hmm. I lived in Utah County, which is 99% white. I have, I still suffer from, you know, white privilege and, mm-hmm. you know, being a very privileged individual. So even with being 40 years old now, I have a very, more nuanced approach, but I cannot blame any of these BYU students and their many of their ridiculous responses, because if you put me back in that same time, I would fail just as bad. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Um, you know, we were probably at BYU around the same time. And if the uh, black messes had been around, I, I definitely would have uh, I would have hated them. I, w- I would have avoided them. I wouldn't want to end up on a camera with them for sure. But yeah, um, yeah uh, that's because there was such a load of cognitive dissonance within myself. And some of that I still have to, to root out. But um, I really uh, applaud them and respect the work that they're doing. Yeah, one of the leaders of it, he said, uh, I- I'm hesitant to say that BYU, this is from the article, will actually make any change. However, I hope that they continue to work in active ways to educate the mass population about racism in the United States, how it has existed, how it does exist, how racism has been embedded in the LDS church, how it's been perpetuated at BYU, and how all of these things in the same way, uh, have, uh, how, how these have also affected homophobia and sexism. So, I mean, they're just very progressive and they're, what their desire is seems very reasonable. They want to see institutional change. They want to see the the church move on from its very racist past and that the same things 
that affected racism in the church's history. They want to see, especially with sexism and homophobia, they want to see those things put in the past. You'll notice in the, in the, in the article, they never say, oh, we want to see the church fail. We want to see, you know, we want to see everybody leave the church and we want to, we want to uh, dance a little jig when we're done. They want to see positive institutional and a personal change in the lives of Latter-day Saints, BYU, and the church in general. I think it's a lot, uh, really laudable uh, goal. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that um, the real awesome part about it is they're taking the exact correct approach. They're, they're not being antagonistic. They're just uh, pointing it out for what it is. And I think in a, a woke culture, um, it's very easy to see where the problems lie. Yeah, they're just asking very simple questions, and they're not doing it in a demeaning way. If you no. watch the video in that we link in the show notes in the article, you'll see that they're just asking regular questions. They're not trying to, you know, put a mm-hmm. jab a finger in someone's eye or make someone look stupid. They're just asking uh, what I think are very reasonable questions that a college mm-hmm. student should be able to uh, should be able to handle, or at least yeah. if they don't have the answer to make them think deeply. So I really like mm-hmm. their message. I really like what they've done, and. Uh, I, I hope that they uh, I hope that what they're trying to achieve uh, comes to pass. Mm-hmm. I definitely wish them all the support and the the success that they can get, because that's how like our last article, it's how change occurs. You bet. Now, staying on BYU, we also have an article this week, which I could not believe. And this is from the, the BYU's own publication, The Daily Universe. That is the church owned mm-hmm. newspaper at BYU, and this was published on April 7th, 2022, from university staff, and it Mm -hmm. says, Instagram page sparks outcry on DMBA's birth control coverage. Now, I uh, full disclosure, I used to work, I I worked for a long time at at BYU uh, for Mm -hmm. quite a few years. Uh, I I think it was around, uh, I was a full-time employee, paid employee for the church for almost 24 years. and most of that, most of that time was at BYU. So I'm pretty familiar with it. And the DMBA is the church's insurance program. It stands for Deseret Mutual Benefit Administrators. And mm-hmm. it's the insurance for 16,000 church employees, which includes all of the general authorities, the BYU professors at BYU, Hawaii, Idaho, mm-hmm. Utah. Also includes the CES employees, which are the ones who teach at the seminaries. So there's a lot of people who are part of that. And unbelievably, this article goes through and talks about how DMBA is denying basic birth control for church uh, for church employees who are on DMBA. Mm-hmm. This sounds like it's coming out of a 1960s. Yeah, there's been um, there, there's been a lot of controversy over the the topic of birth control uh should insurance companies have to cover birth control uh there's like uh uh, catholic organizations are strongly against uh, birth control um a lot of fundamentalist christian organizations are against birth control and a lot of these places have uh actually started up their own uh insurance policies or insurance companies to give people like oh well you can have they even advertise for it on the radio that you can have your um, insurance that doesn't go against your beliefs sort of thing. Um, and so Deseret Mutual Benefits has kind of been the same. Uh, well, it, it hasn't been uh, openly advertised as such. In fact, it's kind of been a bit of a mystery or a secret that, hey, well, this is the 
the church's health insurance uh, provider. Uh, <laughs> you know, so people might be aware of it, but they're not necessarily terribly aware of the fact that, yeah, the church provides this insurance and provides it of, its, of itself, but also, you know, to the fact that it would go against birth control, the church doesn't out openly teach against birth control. At least it hasn't for the last 50 years that I'm aware of. Depending, well, yeah, the last 50 years, depending on how you define birth control. See, that's yeah. what the area, because mm-hmm. is a morning after pill, is that birth control? Uh, because, so that's, that's the issue here, mm-hmm. is that the church used to, first of all, the church used to have many statements that even said that condoms are no good no condoms no they've since mm-hmm. backed off from those but yeah. morning after pills could be considered abortions by mm-hmm. some people that's where the controversy is so the dmba's this is from the article dmba's exclusionary policy is legal in part due to that landmark 2014 supreme court case which was Burwell versus hobby lobby in which mm-hmm. the court ruled that under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, employers are not required to cover birth control if it contradicts the company's religious values. Mm-hmm. So the problem, I guess, for the church is that if you allow birth control coverage, we think that, well, that's fine. You can give people condoms. You can give people the birth mm-hmm. control pills. You can give them IUDs. But mm-hmm. that opens up the so-called morning after pills, which yeah. the church I don't think is in favor of because that could be considered an abortion. Yeah, that is the gateway drug to abortion, isn't it? Right. So what what this article points out is that all of these women, because they cannot get the birth control who are at BYU, they're having to go to Planned Parenthood. Yeah. And it's just remarkable that Planned Parenthood, which if you talk to a lot of these uh, local leaders, and I bet even if you talk to a lot of these general authorities, Believe me, these people are not in favor of Planned Parenthood and what they are generally doing. Oh, no. No, they're, they're not. <laughs> but, but, but these women are having to go there. Uh, you know, they mm-hmm. said in the article, quote, if we want to be pro-life, we have to support universal access to birth control. That's really how you're going to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Yeah. I mean, I cannot believe that we are in 2022 and hearing articles about how the church is not doing birth control. We, we have a lot of uh, willful ignorance in our uh, enlightened modern age society, uh, Dives, and I am really, <laughs> I'm really ashamed of us. Because let me tell you, birth control pills, like the pill itself actually fixes a lot more problems than just unwanted pregnancy. There's, um, you know, there's a lot of problems that uh, several young women experience with their monthly period that... Uh, the birth control pill actually helps. I mean, it can take care of excessive bleeding. It's a, a improved treatment for several things besides just, Oh, I I'm not ready to get pregnant yet. You know, it's so for the church to come out and refuse to get, to cover um, any kind of birth control, it's really ignorant. Uh, it's, 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 it's really outrageous. Yeah. And, you know, they say, you know, they are saying, Hey, some some of these women are requiring birth control as a treatment in order to not be bedridden and miserable for her entire life for just basic functioning. Yeah. You know, and Springer, who they're quoting in the article, but don't remember, this is not from some anti-Mormon trope. This is from the daily universe. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, quote, is there is this actually reaching any policymakers? Do they even care? Probably not, is my guess, or else we'd see some change at this point. I hope someone will listen. This isn't Christ like this needs to change. 
It's yeah. okay to admit mistakes. This is a gospel of repentance. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm dumbfounded on this one. This is a real problem. So, it, you know. Yeah, this one, uh, it's just heartbreaking is what it is. I, uh, I, I don't know what to, what to say. I mean, I know that, that uh, you know, abortion is a huge political topic and there's a lot of people f- with uh, arguments on both sides of the issue and there's legitimate arguments to be made on both sides. But I, without going into the politics of it, uh, when it comes to birth control, well, birth control is the uh, foremost way to be able to avoid having to deal with abortion in any way. Um, but that being said, it's not a hundred percent, which, you know, that's why there's a, a plan B, but, uh, you know, where people stand on plan B, that's also very controversial. It's, uh, I, I guess number one, I'm really concerned with the lives of the people who are alive right now. Um, and you know, let's see what we can do to take care of them and then you know, later on, we can worry about the life that's created. But. I agree. I agree. I'm very troubled by this, and I hope that this policy changes. Uh, you know, I call on the church to change this. Fix if there's some type of a a, a mistake or something like that that's that's been made. You know, I call on the church to uh, fix this problem. This is this is unacceptable for any time, especially in 2022. Yeah. So, okay, uh, we got three last articles to get through. We try to keep these podcasts to an hour. The number, the next is from the section that was released on april 17th and it was a lds lds church's wealth spurs additional questions now we covered this in last week's uh, news Mm -hmm. Uh, you brought it up al that the church is the number one real estate uh by total amount of dollars the number one holder of real estate in the united states by dollar amount pushing almost 20 billion dollars that's right now the what this article asks the follow-up question we dissected that pretty well i thought and i asked you how did the church come into the position of being number one and one thing that this article brings out is something that we did not discuss last week and that the church one reason that they are able to climb to the top and be number one as a real estate holder in the united states is that they're tax exempt Mm -hmm. all of those commercial properties and all of those other business properties they have to pay taxes on that real estate which makes it a lot harder to accumulate more real estate because property taxes are expensive yes they are and when the church Ta- does sales not, tax is expensive <laughs> there is there is when the church doesn't have to pay those property taxes they can accumulate more and more wealth they're not paying the taxes on what's in enzyme peak mm-hmm. That's the uh, investment arm of the church, which the church admits to be $52 billion at a minimum, and the whistleblower yep. says it's well over $100. they are not paying taxes on any of those, on any of that. They're not paying taxes on any of their real estate. They're hardly paying any taxes to anyone for anything. This is worse than Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, should the church be paying? What this article, let me ask you, Al, does, should the church be paying property taxes for all of this real estate? I, Okay. When it comes to to religion and real estate, this is this is where I stand on it. I think that all religions ought to be allowed to get tax write-offs, right? Okay. So I don't think that they should necessarily be tax exempt, but I think that just like you and I uh, can get tax write-offs if we're making a charitable donation and we can prove as much to the IRS through receipts, etc. Uh, 
so charitable organizations and uh, also by extension religions should be allowed to get tax write-offs for property that is used for uh, charitable purposes or for religious purposes. Okay, so, uh, you know, the the temple grounds of uh, Temple Square. Sure, make it tax exempt. It's purely for religious purposes. Uh, every ward building, sure, purely for religious purposes and charitable purposes. I know that they allow like blood drives and uh, different events to go on there. They uh, were allowing the Boy Scouts to meet there for a long time. I think that since they've uh, gotten out of the Boy Scouts that they've uh, stopped doing that. But, um, you know, it, prove it, you know, uh, Catholic cathedrals, let them, you know, have a tax exempt status on their uh, on the properties that those cathedrals are sitting on. But when the church is, uh, you know, going out and buying oh, a, a mission, pre- a home for a mission president, uh-huh. uh, we're getting into some gray area. Is that part of the, you know, maintenance of the mission? Is it part of the, the humanitarian aid? Uh, you know, maybe if they're buying real estate or houses, residential properties, they need to be paying property taxes on those as part of the maintenance of the, of the, um, the mission. I, I don't know. I mean, I, but I I definitely, when it comes to like, uh, a church buying a shopping mall across the street from Temple Square, I don't think that ought to be tax exempt at all. Now, I believe that that is a for-profit venture and i believe yeah. the church does pay taxes for those for profit and uh, pr- the church bought that with pro with their yeah. uh, commercial real estate arm so i, I believe that. that that is not exempt so we're talking mostly about uh, chapels temples and things along those lines are yeah. uh, exempt but there's still a lot of money out there and what this article also points out is some it doesn't just interview latter day saints it interviews other uh faith say well if you start taxing our buildings we can barely make it as we are. We'll fold up shop. We won't even have the whole worship mm-hmm. services in our building if you tax us. If we have to pay mm-hmm. regular property taxes and some of these uh, con- some of these chapels and things, you know, property taxes are high. It'd be very high for these buildings that are all, all, oftentimes very large and on spacious mm-hmm. uh, uh, spacious grounds. They yeah. say we're going to put us out of business. So it seems like, hey, we don't want to put people out of business. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, we don't want to give people a free ride. So it is a very difficult thing to try to fix and and, you know a lawmaker also doesn't want to really touch this with the 10-foot pole yeah as soon as they say hey you know we're going to reduce the religious exemption so that Mm -hmm. some property taxes they're not going to get reelected. so it's like it's impossible exactly so that's a very fine line that you're walking between you know eradicating the freedom of religion and you know just trying to exercise some tax uh fairness yeah, because the church is enjoying the church, uh, the LDS church is enjoying those roads, those bridges, mm-hmm. all those things. You know what? Want to go pay? Is they help pay for all of those things, and the yeah. church is getting a free ride on all of these mm-hmm. things. Yeah, and they're not having to pay for any of it. Yeah. So that doesn't yeah. seem very fair. There's, by the way. Yeah, that's true. So. Because it, it's all. It's all kind of a mess, isn't it? Um, our tax code is, uh, what, are we eight inches thick now? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, It's it, we got so many volumes in that thing, it's ridiculous. But, yeah. 
but good, but good, good article. I, I, I don't have I don't have the solution, and and that's not the purpose of this podcast is to try to convince people of my particular views. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's the way you approach it either. But it's just something to consider. What should be yeah. what the, should the church be paying for all of their uh, real estate holdings of twenty billion dollars? Right now, the answer is that they're paying almost nothing. Is that fair? That's for a listener to decide. Yeah. Um, we've got two last articles, and uh, one of them is. was the oldest church, uh, was the oldest leader. It actually didn't happen until April 14th, 2022. And this was from mm-hmm. LDSDaily.com. President Nelson is now the oldest president of the church yeah. and he surpassed Gordon <laughs> B. Hinckley, who was the president uh, for most of the time when, when I was growing up. I was very fond of Gordon B. Hinckley. I went downtown to go uh, see him preach and uh, at General Conference, stayed out to uh, get my tickets early. I really enjoyed uh, President Hinckley and his approach. Now, President Nelson is the oldest uh, prophet. Now, just a real quick question for you. You know, in times past, Al, it seems like God had called many prophets who were quite young. Think about Samuel in the Mm -hmm. Old Testament. Think about Joseph Smith. Think about Mormon in the Book of Mormon became Mm -hmm. a prophet and led the armies when he was only 15 years old. Nephi was a young person. In fact, all of the original Quorum of the Twelve in early church days were all pretty young. And the disciples that Jesus called the New Testament Mm -hmm. were pretty young. Um, It seems like God, in times past, throughout all of the scriptures, called mostly young people to do Mm -hmm. his work as a general rule. And I think that one of the reasons is, is that young people are easy to mold. Mm-hmm. They, uh, you can impress your opinions on them, and um, they can last a lot longer if you're giving them an important message. Yeah. So, what the average age of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles now? I read an article that says that the average age, I believe, is 78 years old. Which, if that's the average age, that means you're never going to have another LDS prophet mm-hmm. who's under the age of 85. I think that that average is probably brought that low just by David Bednar. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, but even he's what, 60 something? He's he's getting up there. Not sure. You're probably right. Yeah. So, you remember these prophets, when they are, and when you're calling a man who Mm -hmm. is at a minimum, usually the average age of a prophet now is 80, 80, 85 years old. These men Mm -hmm. are in cognitive decline. You're, you're, you know, the champion chess players, I play a lot of chess. The champion yeah. chess players, they mm-hmm. retire when they're 40 years old. Yeah. There, there's never anyone who's at the top of chess after they're about 36 years old. All mm-hmm. of the champions are between the ages of 25 and 35 because that is peak mental health. Yeah. Why? It seems far be it for me to question God, but why would God engineer a system that ensures that only people who are far past their prime mental acuity are going to lead his church remember the past presidents we have thomas mm-hmm. monson who had dementia for a number of years as he ended his. we had um president kimball president benson president hunter all of these men experienced serious cognitive decline towards the end of their life no yeah. one no one finishes strong so you're giving a person who has all of the keys the only person on earth who has every key is the president of the church. And you're giving that to someone who right off the bat is not at the peak of their mental health. Yeah, for sure. 
and you know they have no problem putting uh, the seventies into emeritus status. Yeah, but uh, I I do remember uh, the last days of uh, Ezra Taft Benson. Boy, the poor guy was drooling in general conference. I mean, he he was he was in rough shape. Uh, for for a time there, um, Mary and G. Romney and President Benson were out, and uh, Gordon B. Hinckley was the second counselor, and the weight of the church fell on him. Right. He was added, I believe, to the first presidency as an extra member of the first presidency so that it could be four mm-hmm. members of the first presidency as members as memory serves, because yeah. the top three were all mm-hmm. out of commission. Yeah. That seems like an odd way to structure mm-hmm. an organization. Yeah, uh, it's it definitely doesn't surprise me that it's the way Brigham Young set it up. Um, so prior to uh, Brigham Young taking uh, charge of the church and running off from Nauvoo, uh, Joseph Smith, there was a lot of turnover. And in fact, uh, like church leadership was uh, a lot by common consent or by common vote. Uh, and so, like, you know, they still do the sustaining votes uh, today just as they did back then. But um, it seemed like there was a lot more dissension. And uh, I know in the days uh, leading up to leaving Kirtland, uh, they actually held a meeting in the temple trying to oust Joseph Smith as uh, the president of the church. They, uh, they, they did an election to say, look, you know, we don't want him as a head anymore. Um, Brigham Young, when he took charge, he's the one that said, well, you know, I'm, in charge and I'm in charge until I die. And uh, there's nothing anybody can do about that. And furthermore, we're going to have it set up so that the quorum of the 12 apostles will be the pool from which the prophet is selected. And uh, those people is a calling for life that can never be ousted unless uh, they have to, unless they get excommunicated. And that's happened a handful of times since uh, Brigham Young uh, let everybody out West. There's only been a few uh, people that have been uh, in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles that got excommunicated. I believe one of them was Brigham Young's son. <laughs> um, I believe you you mean John Taylor's son. Oh, John Taylor's son. I'm sorry. I, you're right. I am. I was mistaken. <laughs> yes, John Taylor's son got excommunicated. There has been some excommunications. You know, Brigham Young. It used to be when Joseph Smith set it up. It was the oldest member. Uh, excuse me. It was the date of ordination. Mm-hmm. was considered who was senior, they, uh, excuse me, who was oldest. But yeah. they changed, Brigham Young changed that to date of ordination because he did not want Orson Hyde to be the next president of the church. Yeah. He, he had a beef with Orson Hyde. If you read some of these Orson Hyde quotes, I think Brigham Young made a good decision because Orson Hyde was pretty far out there. And, <laughs> it would have been a very different church. <laughs> it really would have been. And it, if I'm telling you that I prefer Brigham Young over Orson Hyde, that is really saying something <laughs> compared with what Brigham, some of Brigham Young's statements. So, yeah. um, you know, just let me say one more thing about this. And that's that the policy of exclusion in 2015 that banned gay children from being baptized, receiving the priesthood until they were 18 years old. That was enacted while Thomas was in mental decline with dementia. Mm-hmm. And President Nel- the, the, the rumor on the street is that President Nelson pushed, and Oaks as the number two and three, mm-hmm. pushed that over the finish line when Thomas Monson really would not have done that. If you think about Thomas Monson and his personal, um, his personal ethics and mm-hmm. values, yeah, you really don't think that that squares with the policy of exclusion, and no, it probably he, he was very much a gentle giant. 
he was. And the reason that that policy got pushed through is because of Nelson and Oaks, who we both know are, uh, let's just say, not real LGBTQ friendly. And because of the system is set up the way that it is, we got a a bad policy that pretty much everyone now has realized that that was not a good way to go, which is why it was repealed so fast. Mm -hmm. So if we had a different system in place for God's true mouthpiece on earth, we could avoid issues like this. That's all I'm trying to say. For sure. Yeah. Okay. But okay. You're, you're right. There isn't a really good uh, uh, vetting system in to get like younger blood into the, the mix. Uh, so uh, in perpetuity, until something changes, we are going to have a church that's led by the geriatrics. Yes, indeed. Find the final message. The final article that I want to go through is the the every every Easter and every Christmas, the first presidency gives an Easter message and they also give a first presidency message. And this was published on KSL, Trent Toon, Deseret News. Also, April 13th, 2022, first presidency celebrates life and mission of Jesus Christ with the 2022 Easter miss, uh, message. And they said, quote, he is risen. This is a signed uh, signed document. He is risen with the angelic message of the first Easter with feelings of worship and gratitude. We declare our witness that Jesus Christ has indeed risen. And they ended it also with, quote, may the glorious significance of Easter attract all to follow Jesus Christ and to love one another as he taught in word and deed, end quote. And this first presidency message comes less than two weeks after President Nelson specifically invited everyone to end a personal conflict by Easter 17th. Mm-hmm. And that's why I wanted to follow up with my last week's challenge. Now, last week's challenge was, hey, you challenge, we came to we came to realize that hey, I've got a personal grudge against Paul Dunn. Now, one mm-hmm. of those reasons that I did have a, a, a personal grudge against Paul Dunn is because of the armed forces. Now, I never saw any kind of the combat or action that Paul Dunn actually did. I know he told a lot of tall tales that showed that he had much more action than he really had, but I never even saw the kind of action that he really did have. So I think that those from the outside who try to criticize Paul Dunn for exaggerating war stories, I don't think that they really realize some of the pressure that is on veterans and their military service. It can become very easy to try to exaggerate these things. And so um, I do take a small personal umbrage that he exaggerated his war stories that he really didn't play professional baseball and the other things but i have tried to forgive him in my heart um and i think that that is a healthy um thing for me to do is to you know let paul dunn go the one question that i have for you on this last topic before we wrap things up is okay can a person paul dunn was a very popular speaker i remember listening to his tapes when i was a kid he was his books were sold in lds bookstores including deseret new uh, deseret um book and other bookstores can the spirit testify of the truthfulness of the church as an appendix to a story which didn't actually happen and is actually completely false um the answer to the oh boy uh this is going to be a tough answer but okay. i'm not i'm not going to shy away from it all right Okay, as the LDS Church identifies the Holy Ghost and the witness of the Spirit, uh, the answer is yes, because uh, it's an emotional response. It's uh, it's not an actual um, like confirmation from deity that this is the truth. 
Um, but it, what it is, is it's uh, just a warm, fuzzy feeling that, well, this person told a very manipulative story that I bought into and it sounded good. It felt good to, you know, it, as I played out uh, what he was saying in my head and visualizing it, I really got caught away with the spirit of it. And so the spirit testified that it's a truth. And then you come to find out that the whole story was just made up. Uh, yeah, that absolutely does happen. Um, and it's uh, a shame that it happens. I'm, uh, uh, but that's why it's important to do some fact checking. And so all the, the fact checking that we've uh, done or specifically that you've done Diva is, uh, you know, between these episodes making sure that we're on the up and up and making sure that we're being honest and, and fair and accurate with people. Um, that's why I feel like that's really important work is we don't want to fall into that same category of, well, we're just making stuff up that feels good so that, you know, people will listen to it and they'll get a warm fuzzy and then they'll follow us and give us a like and, you know, share us with their friends and neighbors. Um, I would much rather this be about truth and accuracy than about feelings. Well said, well said. So I've completed President Nelson's challenge. I feel the better for it. And I think, it, as I said in the last podcast, I said that it was a great challenge and that it was, quote, super duper. And I, I, cont- I continue to say that it is. Now, we're going to wrap things up here. Um, I would like to call on our listeners to please rate us on Spotify and iTunes or wherever it is that you came across this. Now, we're going to put out a call for co-hosts as well. If you mm-hmm. feel like you want to uh, ruminate on the spa- uh, great and spacious building with us, then send us an email to mormonnewsgroundup at gmail.com. That's with two ends, Mormon News Roundup at gmail.com. And uh, we would love to have you uh, on the on the on the broadcast. Now I have Al received two inquiries about co-hosting, but both of those inquiries were by people who wanted to tell their story, not necessarily talk about the news. This isn't really a story podcast out there. There's a yeah. lot of people who are going to do a better job at telling Mormon stories than mm-hmm. I am or probably you are. Yes. Uh, case in point, Mormon stories. Uh, contact John Dolin. Uh, he's, exactly. uh, he's a very friendly guy. Absolutely. They're more qualified. They can do it. And there's just, it's too saturated. I want to stick with what I know and what my passion is. And that's the news. That's why we're going to uh, stay with that. Um, and we also are going to upload onto our Patreon. We're going to, uh, we're going to interview one another and put some of our backstory up there. So if you go to Patreon, you'll be able to unlock those interviews. Uh, we also, I wanted to talk about the analytics so far of what we've had so far from listenership. And right now we have, as of week three, we have about 30 subscribers slash listeners, which uh, was about what I expected. And most of those people are in the United States. Most of those people are men. And most of those people are in their 40s. So we... <laughs> it, <laughs> I guess it's no surprise that we're hitting the demographic of, of who we are. I suppose. We found our people. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Now, I want to end this podcast, and it's actually a slightly lengthy one, with our first feedback that we've received on our podcast. So, and I have not shared this with you yet, Al. So, well, I'm, I'm waiting eager on this. I know that it's there, but I don't know what it is. Okay, so here's what happened. So I was uh, scrolling the web like I do, looking for news because that's just who I am. And uh, someone named Penguin31337 said, I'm looking for a funny, lighthearted podcast that's spiritually uplifting. And he said, "Um, does someone have something like this, something I can listen to on a Sunday that makes me laugh and smile and also feel the spirit? I prefer one that's LDS-centric 
But honestly, I'm open to a more generic podcast as well. Laugh out loud if there's nothing out there. I'll even take a funny family-friendly podcast if it comes down to it. So let me ask you, Al, is this a family-friendly podcast? Boy, we, we sure try to keep it family-friendly. I know that there's some topics that are rather adult in nature. I mean, uh, the, today's topic about birth control, that was a, a rather adult-themed uh, one. But we really try to keep it um, clean and appropriate for all ages. Although I'm, I'm sure with a couple of uh, middle-aged 40-year-old guys uh, doing this podcast, they're gonna, kids are going to get bored. Uh, but we, we try to keep it fun and funny. Yeah. So you can. So can you laugh and smile? And is this LDS centric? Try to be. Yeah. Okay. So I. Hey, I thought that this was perfect. This is exactly what this fellow <laughs> was looking for. Okay. Yeah. So I sent him our uh, our episode, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I said uh, uh, I sent him summary episode to LDS Church's number one exclamation point in real estate question mark. <laughs> okay. So I sent him the episode, and he listened to it. So we now have our first feedback, and he gave me some feedback and he said quote you clearly have some emotions you're working through i don't believe you'll find true relief by mocking the beliefs of others but i hope one day you can heal the pain you're so clearly going through well who isn't going through some emotions at some point in their lives right (laughs) i gave him a reply to that and i said i'm not looking for relief parentheses from what i'm also not in any pain but thanks for listening please subscribe so I, I have a question for you, Al. Yeah. Um, also, he, he did a final response. Let me, let me give his final response. He would okay. say, I argue that ex-Mormons devoting hours of their life to make fun of Mormons isn't really happy and that you are, uh, you're not living a full life and that you're wasting away, mocking others, which I thought was a very sad for our first feedback. But maybe I should have been prepared for that. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Who did we mock? I don't recall mocking anybody. I mean, I, we we're not uh, afraid to throw a jab at the church, obviously, but I don't. I we try real hard not to mock people or their religious beliefs. Um, I mean, if somebody's being ludicrous about something, then they might get some mockery. But uh, especially somebody that's a public persona, if somebody's put themselves out there as a celebrity or in a public. Uh, sphere i mean today we talked we mentioned david archuleta um you know and but we we didn't really even go into him but he's also somebody who has put himself out there uh as a musician and as uh he's also you know put himself out there as a representative for the church in the past i know he served a mission and sure uh, did. yeah so uh you know we, choir. yeah you can certainly get uh i i wouldn't hold any uh, any punches with that when it comes to David Archuleta I don't have any uh, criticism for him presently I you know I don't know him at all but uh, you know he's put himself out there as a public persona so he's opened himself up for it um, you know but when it comes to personal private people uh, we we would never try to be mean to someone that doesn't want to be brought out into the public eye Absolutely. Now, I don't think we mocked anyone. Now, I listened to the last podcast. Mm-hmm. I did say that I thought that Ted Bundy's bishop had an off day. Remember? Yeah. I said, and, no. and, and I think that's fair. Yeah. So if you want to be in the position, because Ted Bundy committed about 10 murders before he was baptized in the church. But if you mm-hmm. want to be the one who defends that bishop, yeah. and then, then go right ahead. Then please mm-hmm. go ahead and defend Ted Bundy's bishop. Because I said that he had an off day and oops, maybe he got mm-hmm. that one wrong. That was yeah. the extent of my mocking derision. That's the best we can do. 
and furthermore, a bishop is a uh, ordained representative of the church. So I agree. Yeah, th- this is someone who is supposed to vet uh, people who are going to be baptized, and you know they're supposed to use that gift of discernment. It would have so. been nice. This seems like a good time to have used the gift of discernment, considering this person had ten murders before he uh, yes. had the interview. Anyway. So, if if you're going to take offense to to that, then you know maybe this isn't for you. But we really, th- this is what, what this podcast is about. We want to address the issues of Mormonism or the you know news that pertains to Mormondom, without uh, you know becoming offensive. But I mean, shoot, I, I've uh, heard a lot more offensive jokes sitting around family home evening with my TBM family, you know, regarding the church. So the church can take it. <laughs> this reminds me, I, I want to go, go a little bit more deeper into this. I know we're, we're reaching the end here, but it reminds me, right, reminded me of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me just summarize that. The parable of the Good Samaritan told in the Gospel of Luke. It's about a traveler who's implicitly understood to be Jewish, who's stripped of his clothing, beaten, left half dead along the side of the road. Another Jewish priest then a Levite comes by, but they both avoid the man. Finally, a Samaritan happens upon the traveler. Although Samaritans and Jews despise each other, the Samaritan helps the injured man. Jesus is described as telling the parable in response to the question from the lawyer, and who is my neighbor? The conclusion is that the neighbor figure in the parable is the one who shows the mercy on the injured fellow that is the man. So in this story, I'm the fellow member and the brother to Penguin 31. Did he say, hey, buddy, if you need any help, please reach out to me and send me a private chat message with his phone number. I hope that you get the help. No, he didn't. I, I, am the Jew, I am the fellow and brother in Christ that, according to him, is lying in the ditch. And what did he do? Did he say that he would help me? Absolutely not. He said, I hope you get the help you need. The implicit thing yeah. is not I, from I think that's what the Levite. Else. I think that's what the Levite did. Uh, right. So I hope you get the help you need and then walked off. Exactly. I hope you get you're obviously in pain and in emotional turmoil and mm-hmm. suffering. And yeah. I hope you get the pain or the help that you need. Oh, it's not going to be from me, but maybe from someone else. Mm-hmm. So and he also said that we're a bunch of angry ex-Mormons. Did he even listen to the podcast? I said in episode two that I went to church that morning. I said yeah. I loved it. I said it was very spiritual. And mm-hmm. I even praised the new General Relief Society president and Sister Browning. In the primary, really, uh, in the primary presidency, I also I said that we we both said that we found Elder Tokes Oaks talk a bit troubling, which was mm-hmm. like a lot of members. And Al, you helped me accept President Nelson's conference forgiveness challenge. I said that it was a great challenge and that it was super duper. So my question is, what level of adulation for the LDS Church do you think can satisfy Penguin thirty one three three seven? And he said that we are, that's a rhetorical question. He said that we're spending hours of our life wasting it away. Yeah, we've released three hours of content so far. Mm-hmm. I guess the three hours. Yeah. Um, honestly, I mean, when I, it comes to the preparation of this, I could definitely dedicate more time to the preparation. Um, so I'm thinking totally we've got three hours uploaded, maybe another, uh, let's say another two hours throughout the week of preparation. So we're up to nine. Yeah. yeah. I think this this comes back to the idea that no one can mock anyone, because if you remember the temp, what what happens in the temple is that God will not be mocked. And I think that there is a a trigger for people that thinks, well, if you disagree with someone, you're mocking them. So, I mean, this podcast is aiming for a lighthearted, respectful dialogue. And I reject 
the idea that it is wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is correct. Because I don't think that leaders are above reproach, that they're above criticism, and that they're somehow on a different plane. I think also what it goes down to is like Ted Bundy's bishop. You covenant not to speak evil of the Lord's anointed. Now, even though Ted Bundy's bishop got it wrong, you can't say anything about him because that would be evil speaking of the Lord's anointed. I don't like I, I don't like the idea that if a leader somehow gets something wrong, that they're on another plane of existence and that they cannot that they're above criticism or reproach. Mm-hmm. You know, he also said that it was a waste of time. Well, is it a, bra- a waste of time to talk about the Church of Jesus Christ? If that's a waste of time, then the, well, what, there's, what, a, there's a lot of missionaries out there, 60,000 plus right now uh, around the world that are wasting a lot of time by that measure. They sure are. And let me just a couple of other things, because this really got me going. But I'm glad that he gave me the feedback because it has given me a chance to think about how I would approach feedback in the future. I think that there's only two ways that a lot of people say that you can do Mormonism. There's only two ways. Number one is that you're a dyed-in-the-wool, BYU Cougar football team loving, family home evening holding, praise to the man singing, big family, heterosexual, lots of kids, married in the temple, not single, never divorced, Saturday church toilet cleaning, testimony bearing, true believing member. That's the first way that you can be interact with Mormonism. And the only other way that you can react to Mormonism is that you're angry, you're deeply troubled, your countenance is falling, you're in serious mental pain, you're working through struggles, you have negative feelings, you're totally apostate, you're an anti-Mormon lie-spewing blowhard. And there's only two ways. It's one or the other. You know, traditionally speaking, Divas, that's been the case. And uh, that's one, one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast, is because I believe that there's some gray area in between where we can find some happy medium. You don't have to, you know, worship at uh, God's one and only true uh, football team uh, on his one and only true football uh, team playing campus. But we also don't have to be seething and frothing at the mouth about, uh, you know, all that the church has done against you and your family. Uh, We we can meet in the middle, you know, Uh, Mr. Penguin, please, uh, you know, come and join us. You know, we can talk. It's okay to, have a different opinion but you know i'm not going to accuse you of being anything uh, that you're not and you don't need to accuse us of being things that we're not right you know i think it's the idea is if you don't fit the first mold as mm-hmm. true blue 100 ready to go then you must be in the second category yeah that's what he lists there's only two ways to do it and, and it's it's a dichotomy that as you said out i hope that this podcast can kind of break that down that mm-hmm. there's more than two ways to to Mormon to 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 have reflections on Joseph Smith. There's mm-hmm. more than two ways to um, have a spiritual experience with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Yeah, I would love for my own uh, TBM family to listen to this podcast, and you know maybe they will someday if they're inclined to it. It's out there. If they listen to podcasts, I'll invite them to listen. <laughs> Amen, Al. Do you have anything else? I think that's a great sentiment to wrap up on. Yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Weird Alma, who's uh, been really excellent to let us use his uh, music. And we got a new song that we're going to play out the episode with today. It's um, 
Oh, the semantics of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite. I love all of Weird Al's songs. It, yep, it's a, a little bit of a spoof on the um, uh, Rolling Stones, uh, the sympathies to Satan. But this one, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, Al. Hi, every- we'll, see you- we'll see everybody later. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 